Welcome to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast, where we bring you sermons from our teaching team at Flood Church, Lilongwe, Malawi. For more information, you can go to floodchurch.com. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Now I would like you to, to stand as we'll be reading the word of God together this morning. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid because I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my senses are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I pray to the God of heaven, and I answer the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting uh, beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you be back? When will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal pack, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the cedar wall for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the warfare of the Israelites. Spirit of God, we invite you this morning. I ask God that uh, your spirit would be here this morning. And I pray, God, that you open up our ears so that we can hear your voice in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please have a seat. One of our values here at Flood Church is weak people growing together for transformation. Weak people growing together for transformation. And, and what, that's, what this means is that when you come here, you're not going to find perfect people. And when you come here, we don't expect you to be perfect. So, you know, the pastor here is not a perfect guy. And the peop- somebody you're sitting next to is not perfect or they're not perfect. And we're not expecting you to be perfect. But we realize that all of us are actually under construction. That God is still doing his work in us. That God is still working in our lives. And we say that we are weak people growing together. Uh, is because we are not just also saying that, oh, we are weak, that's it, we're going to stay like that. But we are wanting to pursue God. We are wanting to pursue Jesus together as we grow. And therefore, uh, you know, we are not going to be judging each other here because we know we are on a journey. All of us are on a journey. All of us are growing. And, you know, also that also compels us uh, to, to be vulnerable. And that's what we'll be talking about today, that this value compels us to be vulnerable. That just like a house, 
You know, there are certain parts of your house that you like and you enjoy showing people when they come. Like, hey, just come. And we know always the kitchen. You know, just come in. This is amazing, you know. Uh, but we have certain rooms that we don't allow people to get in. Uh, or maybe if they get in, maybe we have certain closets that we don't open for people to see what's there. And when Jesus Christ is doing his work, he wants to get in every single room of our houses. When Jesus Christ is, is doing his work, he wants to get into every single closet of our homes. And sometimes, sometimes, that means he is using somebody else who is close to you, that they will come in, that you can open up to. Now, I don't know if you have a story in your life uh, where you don't like to share. I don't know if you have a story in your life where, um, you know, when you look in your past, something happened in your past, and you want that thing to be erased, and you don't want to face it. Or maybe because of that, you feel disqualified. You feel disqualified that I am, I feel disqualified to be a minister. I feel disqualified to be someone else who can be serving because of this thing that happened in my past. And in fact, I would like that to be erased from my story. I would like that to be taken out of my testimony. Or some of you maybe are in that state in this moment of something else that you are going through that you wish was not there. Now, I've shared my story here so many times, but one of those stories for me is 14 years ago. 14 years ago, I was a guy who just ran away from God because I grew up in a church. I came to the Lord when I was 13 years old, and I, you know, I was on fire for God. So I was preaching in the markets, in the hospitals, uh, you know, walking with people, praying, going to Bunda Mountain every week to pray, fasting three days, uh, you know, and to just want to see God in my life. But there was a time when I was disappointed with God. Uh, there was, a, you know, I, I had an anticipation that God would do something in my life. And I prayed over this thing for over and over and over again, fasted over it, but nothing happened. So I was angry and I was so disappointed with God. And in fact, I prayed a prayer to stop praying. I said, God, if you don't do it again this time, this is it. I quit. And God did not do it. So I quit. So I stopped praying. In fact, for me, I, I became so angry with God. I became so angry with God that the anger was so real that when I would see a Bible, I would, I, I would want to throw it away. In fact, I threw my Bible away. If I listened to a Christian radio, I would turn it off because I didn't want to hear the name Jesus. I didn't want to hear the name God, anything else. So I lost my way in that time. I had nobody else to keep me accountable. I was not opening up to anyone else on what was going on. So just by myself, I went away. In fact, I even left the city. I said, I don't want to be facing any Christians. I don't want to be facing anybody else that I know. So I went and lost my way, sleeping around, which resulted in an unexpected pregnancy. I was drinking. I was... Um, Cursing God, literally. And I was lost. But somehow, which is just the beauty of grace, somehow God got to me and he rescued me from that. He rescued me. He brought me back and he said, you are mine. And God truly pursues us. 
because I am a testimony of that. Now, even though God rescued me, even though God gave me hope, even though I came back to the Lord and, you know, uh, back and I had people that were helping me grow and become uh, a better person in so many areas, but also the one that can pursue God again. When I look back at that time, I still fall full of shame with that. Just full of shame because I'm like, I want this to be raised. I want this to go away. I want this to not be a part of my story. But God uses the darkest parts of us so that he can show his glory. So that he can show his light. Every one of us is broken. And our brokenness is like a crack in the wall where the light comes through. Actually, even more times where the light goes out. Because God is doing a lot of work. God is doing a lot of work in our lives. Now, I remember before that time, before I lost my way, I was a guy who was very judgmental. I was a guy when I would hear a story of somebody else who had fallen, I would, I would be saying they don't have enough faith. I would be saying they don't fear God enough. I would be saying, I cannot believe you did that, but you're a Christian. How would you do such a thing? And then I found myself in that mess. I found myself on that road. And my perspective changed. It changed now how I began looking at people, most especially those who mess up like me, most especially those who are falling short like me. Now, do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you should be going around, messing around so you can understand God's mercy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there is a difference when you understand the grace that God has given you. When you understand that actually God has given you so much grace, that he loves you so much, that when you look at someone else who just messed up, you're going to look at them with compassion and mercy. Because you understand, you understand your own brokenness. So I don't know. But every single person that I've met who has messed up in their life, they always say, I never thought I would be here. Always. Always. Even though they knew what they were doing. Even though they were participating in this decision. But they always say, I never knew that I would get here. I never knew that I would get here. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you are on that road. I never knew I would get here, Lord. Maybe you are actually in that moment right now. Now, I don't know. Your story could be as messed up as mine or maybe different. But more likely, you have a, a space in your own life. You have an area in your own life where you want that to be erased, to not be a part of your story. Maybe you're dealing with that right now, where you are on that road. I didn't think I would find myself here, Lord. I don't have to mention what it is, but you know what it is for yourself. You know what it is for you. And it is, it is easy for us to put up a face and to act as if everything, it is okay. Everything is fine. Everything is okay. 
But even though we have some parts of us that are messed up, even though we have some parts of us that are broken, we know that Jesus Christ is alive and he will fix that. Because even though man broke it, but Jesus Christ is fixing it and he will fix that. Or maybe you could be here like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was sad and afraid. He was sad and afraid. And actually, when I was reading the story of Nehemiah, I actually relate with this guy. And you also relate with, relate with this guy. Because Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a pastor. Uh, he doesn't have a massive role uh, you know, in, in Israel. He's just a lay man. Just like you and me. He has the coolest job, of course, he does. But he's just like us. But God uses him in amazing ways. God uses Nehemiah in beautiful and amazing ways. And Nehemiah also does not have resources. Doesn't have every single thing that he needs to go and build the wall. He doesn't have. He doesn't have resources. He doesn't have the money that's needed to build a massive, massive wall around Jerusalem. He doesn't. And sometimes we want to have all the resources, isn't it, to go and obey God. But he does not have. But he has this task in front of him where he sees the walls of Jerusalem being in ruins. And his heart is broken because he knows that the people of Israel, now they lack protection and they have lost their dignity. So he says, you know what? I will allow my heart to be moved by the things that move God's heart. Even though I don't have enough. Even though I don't have a role. Even though I don't have a position. But I will allow myself. I will allow myself to be moved by the things that move the heart of God. And God is not looking for people that have it all together. God is not looking for people who have all the resources in the world. God is not looking for people who are strong. God is not looking for people who are better than others. In fact, God's looking for someone like you. God's looking for someone like you. Someone who feels inadequate. Someone who feels disqualified like me. Someone who doesn't have it all together. Because God is unlimited and he uses limited people like you. God is unlimited, but he uses limited people like you. And we are all limited. We all have vulnerabilities. And, uh, you know, when you look at this word vulnerable, like what comes to mind? Maybe some of you, the word vulnerable, you're talking about orphans uh, or, you know, people that have been abused. Uh, you know, people that are poor, the poor of the poorest. But actually, you know, being vulnerable just means you're limited, and we, all of us are limited. All of us are limited. And God shows his grace through the limitation. Verse 2 and 3 says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my sisters are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? 
Now, when you can, if you remember last week, we were in chapter one. And, uh, you know, in chapter one, Nehemiah hears this bad news that the kingdom, that actually Jerusalem, uh, the walls of Jerusalem are in ruins. And he says he sat down, wept, mourned, prayed, and fasted. And now we are seeing here in chapter two, uh, you know, it shows that four months later, four months later, that is when he faces the king. And as we read earlier, you see that he actually made a huge request. He made a huge request. Now I'm just asking myself, like, why did it take Nehemiah four months? Why did it take him four months to now be like, okay, now it's time. I need to go and uh, ask the king about this thing. Now I can put, like, you know, I can put in a spiritual answer in this and say, oh, he was waiting on God. He wanted to pray. He was fasting and waiting on God so that God would move and move the mountains. And that when he comes before the king, the king would be moved by God's heart and God's power. Maybe, maybe he was praying all this time. But we also need to understand that these, the people we read in scripture, they're just people like us. People like us. And I was just thinking like, why... What would I do, you know, for me? And probably waiting for months, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I'm broken at this, at this moment. I've heard the news of Jerusalem. I'm broken. Um, let's pray over this. And then the feeling is going to go away. You know, time heals, isn't it? Time heals. So I'm going to, you know, wait it out one month, month two, month, month three, and then four. Praise God, I'm free. It's gone. But actually, it wasn't like this, isn't it? He still had it. So maybe, maybe he was waiting for it to go away, for the brokenness to go away. Because I know I would, be in, I would be like that. Or maybe he wanted to push the responsibility away. Maybe he wanted to push the responsibility away. I never wanted to face. Because sometimes when you ask certain questions, then you begin to carry on responsibilities. In Malawi, we have this word called mahop. And... Uh, my hope just means that, you know, you have someone else that you like and maybe you hope to be in a relationship with them. You hope. So they are, you're my hope. Somebody that you just look like, ah, oh, I really like that girl, I really like that guy, and they are, you're my hope. But sometimes they can be the my hope chart. Do you know what the my hope chart is? Always, always begins with a woman. A woman comes and says, so, so what are we doing again? That's the Mahop chat. What, what, what are we doing again? And always a guy is surprised. Like, what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? And by the way, if men be clear. Be clear, yeah? Single guys, be clear. But you know when you're going to start have that Mahop chat, now there will be two things, yeah? Either that relationship will actually start because then the guy feels like, okay, all right, okay, let's, let's go for it. Or maybe like that friendship is going to be gone because now the Mahop chat has come in, yeah? But when you say yes to that, it means you have taken on responsibilities. So when you ask certain questions, certain questions will come with responsibilities. And sometimes we want to refrain from asking certain questions because we don't want to take on the responsibility. So maybe Nehemiah was like that. Or maybe Nehemiah never wanted to show weak parts of himself. 
you know, parts of himself that were weak, uh, i.e. not having enough resources. Maybe he never wanted to show that. Or maybe he was afraid. In fact, we don't have to maybe this one because we know he was. He was very much afraid. He was afraid. Or maybe he feared rejection. Maybe he feared rejection. Like if I ask this, maybe they will reject me. It will not work. But here we are. We find Nehemiah face to face with the king. And God wants to use him even though he's somebody else maybe who wanted to share away responsibility. Maybe uh, he was afraid of which he was. Or maybe he was weak of which, of which he was. And wanted to allow God to work in him. And how does God work through his life? Number one, he admits his own limitations. He admits his own limitations. The verse that we have read, uh, Nehemiah says, you know, uh, he looked sad. He looked sad. There was something else that was going on in his own life. There was something else hard that was going on. And that even the emotions that he was feeling, he was so sad that it was so evident to those around him that they saw there's something else wrong with what's happening with you. He was very, very sad. And he says this, this phrase, he says, I was very much afraid. I was very much afraid. So he admits that he's sad and he admits that he is afraid. That he is afraid. Now we know why he surely had to be afraid. Because, uh, you know, that, that scripture says that he had never been sad in the presence of the king before. Uh, because these kings had the power that if they will see something else funny on your face, they can actually have you killed. So you have to be happy. You have to put up a face every single time you come into the king's presence. But this time, this day, he was sad. And the king noticed. And the king noticed what's going on. What is happening? And we can be vulnerable that sometimes we can be overwhelmed by emotions. I don't know what task God might have for you that can make you be afraid. Maybe God has entrusted you with parenting and you are afraid. Maybe God has entrusted you with a new role, with a new job. And it's okay for you to admit your own limitations. Maybe God has entrusted you with a new opportunity and it's okay for you to admit your own limitations. Maybe you are uncertain of the future and things are hard right now and it's okay for you to admit your limitations because when we admit our limitations, we allow God to work through them. When we admit our limitations, we allow God to work through them and we look at our limitations not as an excuse for us to not do anything, but actually to see our limitations as a doorway that God can use for his glory, that God can work through them, through our limitations. So it's okay for you to admit that you are afraid, that you are sad, that things are not okay. It's okay for you to be afraid. It's okay for you to show your vulnerability, your limitations. So he does that. And number two, he asks for help. He asks for help. Number four, uh, verse four to six says, Then the king said to me, What is it that you want? 
Then I pray to the God of heaven, and I answer the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my sisters are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. You know, often when I think of like God doing amazing things, you know, one thing that I know is that God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people. I know that. But one thing that I know comes to mind is that God uses ordinary people through extraordinary ways to do something amazing. And, you know, I always I'm thinking about people like David, you know, who throws a tiny stone and kills this massive giant. That's God's work, but in an extraordinary way. That a small, just one, would get straight to him and kills him. That's extraordinary. You know, I'm thinking of people like Moses. Moses, you know, who has to go through this Red Sea. And, you know, he strikes the waters and the sea parts and they walk on dry ground to the other side. That is an amazing work of God. That is God doing something through an ordinary person in 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 an extraordinary way. I'm thinking of Peter who walks on water. How does he do this? This is something extraordinary. Now, the one area I don't think about, which I got reminded through Nehemiah, is that sometimes, if not often, God uses ordinary people through ordinary ways for an extraordinary mission. That he will use an ordinary person through an ordinary way. And he does that. And you and me can actually relate to this one. Can relate to this one. Because Nehemiah, uh, you know, he's faced with this task before him. And he looks sad. He comes in the presence of king. He looks sad. And the king says, hey, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? And Nehemiah, you know, he comes to this place where he has to ask for help. He has to ask for help. Now, we have seen it in the scriptures that God has given visions before to kings. You know, even those who don't believe in God. That God has shown them massive visions. And then they come uh, like that king who took in Sarah, Abraham's wife, to be his own wife. And God shows him a vision to be like, hey, actually that woman is married. And, you know, I'm going to strike you. And he goes to Abraham and be like, oh, what have you done? You know, God has done it before. Or Nebuchadnezzar, you know, God shows him these massive visions. Why can't God do it to this king, King Artaxerxes? You know, so that God will show a massive vision to him. Send my servant Nehemiah that he would go and he would give him resources. But God doesn't do that. In fact, God puts Nehemiah in a place where he could use an ordinary way of asking. Asking for help. Just an ordinary way of asking for help. And, but God would use this ordinary way of asking for help so that he could show his glory. He could show his glory. So he says to him, the king says to, to him, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? And Nehemiah will have to answer and ask for help. Sometimes God, if not all the time, God, would put us in a situation where we have to ask for help. Even though those situations can be uncomfortable. You know, are there other people in here that don't like asking for help? You want to do it yourself? You like that? 
Sometimes asking for help could look like you're losing control. You know, like, or maybe you're feeling like, I'm going to, I don't want to burden someone else with this. I want to do it myself. Why should I ask for help? Because sometimes God would use that ordinary way of asking for help so that you can experience him deeply. So that you can experience that miracle deeply. And he does this all the time. He does this all the time. Even though he was uncomfortable with it, because he was very much afraid. But God says, do it anyway. I'm still going to put you in this situation anyway. Now, when, I look, when we read these scriptures, we can see ourselves to be one character in this story, maybe just being Nehemiah. But also, let's, for a second, let's just shift to be the king in this time. The question that the king asks, I think it's a question that we should be asking often. And underneath this question is, what can I do to help you? What can I do? What can I do to help you? What can I do to help with this? And I think us as believers, God puts us in these situations often that we need to ask someone else, what is it that I can do to help? So that we're inviting ourselves in. Because here's Nehemiah who is struggling with this brokenness. Here's Nehemiah who is struggling with this thing that's going on. In fact, he's so overwhelmed with emotion that you can see it on his face. And God uses someone else in that space. And sometimes we need to be the ones that says, what can I do to help? It's one question that can change a life. It's one question that can bring freedom to someone else. That they can actually see the work of God through it. What can I do to help? And may you ask that question often. What can I do to help? And lastly, Nehemiah affirms God's goodness on his life. And because of time, I'm just going to read the last part of verse 7. Actually, let's just go verse 8. And may I have a letter to Asaph. So this is Nehemiah uh, t- talking to the king. I may have a, a letter to Asaph, the king of the royal park. So he will give me a timber. He will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, but the temple for the city wall. And for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. This is a powerful statement. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. Because the gracious hand of God was upon me, the king granted my request. And he affirms God's goodness on him. He affirms God's grace on his life. He affirms this. Now I know that, uh, you know, he wants to communicate that his requests are not being granted because he's, you know, he does a good job in asking. Uh, you know, his requests are not being granted because he's good at planning, of which he was. His requests are not being granted because the king loved him. Probably he did. But his requests are being granted because the gracious hand of God was upon him. Now, there will be times in your life when you know you have made requests and do not receive. Your requests don't come out the way you hoped they would. That does not mean the gracious hand of God is not upon you. It is. The gracious hand of God is upon you. 
Because God is your guarantee, not the result that you get. But God alone, He alone, God alone, He is enough. The gracious hand of God is upon me. And if He gives me something, if He grants me my request, it's because the gracious hand of God is upon me. And if that request doesn't come through, I still know the gracious hand of God is upon me. When we look at that word grace, this is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. This is what happens. God grants Nehemiah favor in spite of his own fears. God's, God grants Nehemiah favor in spite of his own sadness. He grants him favor even though he was weak and didn't have enough resources. But God grants him favor. God gives you unmerited favor. And he would do it not because of what you have done but because of what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has made it possible that we can receive the unmerited favor of God. That actually, he is the one that we have every single day in our lives. And he dwells within us, for we are the temple of God. And his grace is always constantly with us and on us. So whatever you're going through, Whatever is happening with your life, if you feel disqualified, if you feel like, I want to erase this part of my life away, of my story away, know that God's grace is enough for you. And through your own limitations, when you are limited, his grace shows up even more. And he has done it. And he did this through the cross. That Jesus Christ saw us undeserving sinners, people that are lost, people that have no hope, people that are separated from God. He looked upon us with compassion and he gave his own life. And he said, I want to make you mine. And you belong to me forever. Not because of your track record, not because of what you have done, but because of what I'm going to do and I have done for you. I love you so much. And he did this through the cross. Thanks for listening to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast. Please send us your feedback by commenting below or by emailing floodlilongwe at gmail.com.